Hello, I'm Mercedes Stevenson, and this is the West Block, politics, perspectives, and players. Tens of thousands of Venezuelans crossed into Colombia last weekend seeking food and medicine. This is the first time in four months that President Nicolas Maduro has allowed Venezuelans a chance to cross into neighboring Colombia and secure items that cannot be purchased at home. This is the first time in four months President Nicolas Maduro has allowed Venezuelans a chance to cross into Colombia and secure items that cannot be purchased at home. According to the United Nations, more than four million people have fled Venezuela in the last four years to escape that country's political and economic crisis. David Smolansky is a former mayor in Venezuela. He was removed from office by the Maduro administration and has spent the last two years living in exile. He is currently the coordinator of the Organization of American States Working Group on the Venezuelan Crisis. David, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure. So tell me a little bit about the process. of You were an elected mayor and then you were removed from power. What yeah. happened? <clears throat> well, I was elected mayor of El Atillo, which is part of Caracas, the capital, in 2013. It was the youngest mayor when I started. And after almost four, four years, the regime illegally removed me from office. I am under arrest warrant. So I went uh, in hiding for 35 days until I was able to flee the country through a jungle uh, in Brazil. Since then, I've been living in exile and now working at the Organization of American States for Venezuelan migrants and, and refugees and, and advocacy for democracy and, and freedom in, in my country. I, I was one of the 13 mayors that were illegally removed by, by the regime. Oh, why did they want that? Why did they want to push you out? Well, I think for different reasons. Uh, the first, if I'm, I'm a part of a, a, a new uh, generation that uh, of different emerging leaders that are trying to change politics and public service in, in Venezuela. Second, we were successful um, in our administration, specifically in reducing crime, kidnapping to be more specific, and, and transparency. We were very clear uh, against corruption. And third but not least, uh, I was very active on the national uh, uh, context. So I participated specifically in 2017. I was one of the leaders that called for 120 consecutive days of protest against the regime, asking for free and fair election, asking for humanitarian aid, asking to release the political prisoners. And the regime was pushing me to repress the people that, that were protesting. And they have the rights to, pro to, to, to protest. So I didn't do that, and they decided just to go uh, after me. My family has been threatened. Part of my team were also threatened and persecuted. Um, but. Here I am in exile, and uh, even though it's tough to be in exile, my family is still in, in Venezuela, and so many people that I care and love are still in Venezuela. But uh, I'm, I'm taking in exile as a huge opportunity to contribute for people that are suffering in the border, because there are now 4 million refugees, but at the same time contributing to restore democracy and freedom in Venezuela. You're a political dissident. You're now living in exile, but tell me, what were those 35 days in hiding like for you when you didn't know if you'd make it out? Well, um, those days I tried to have a routine with myself. So very early in the morning, I, um, I, I, I read some books. I took some notes. I wrote a lot of, about my story those days. Um, one of the places that I slept, I had a TV, so I, 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 I loved sports. So sometimes just to get distracted a bit myself, I watched a bit of sports. And, and I prayed a lot. I prayed a lot and I felt very close to, 
to God, but at the same time, I was mentally prepared for that. It didn't take me by surprise. I saw so many close uh, friends and leaders that were illegally detained or when forced to exile. So when the moment came, I was uh, prepared. And when I took the decision to flee my country through Brazil, I had to shave my beard, wore glasses that I, I never had to use, put a flat hat and went through 35 checkpoints for more than a thousand kilometers so I was not recognized. During those 35 checkpoints, the car was stopped four times. On those four times, four, I, uh, on those eight times, sorry, the car was stopped. Four of them, I was asked to get out of the car because they were, you know, uh, reviewing the car, reviewing the car. But fortunately, not, nothing uh, happened. And as soon as I got to Brazil, I got the protection by the Brazilian government. And then I took a personal decision to go to, to the U.S. and, and work uh, uh, from there. I, obviously, I care a lot about my family on those uh, 35 uh, days. Uh, there were some threats uh, against them. I made some public letters on that moment, but I, I, I was mentally prepared because of the persecution that I felt, that I saw very close to me, and also because my grandparents left the Soviet Union during the 1920s, and then they had to leave Cuba with my father in 1970. So uh, I already knew because of, of, my, of, of, because of my family how is to be persecuted and how is to, how to flee a, a, a country that has a communist uh, uh, regime, but um, uh, as I said that before, I mean I have taken exile, not to, not to give up, but all the opposite, just to work harder, uh, and, and and keep as a public servant to restore democracy and freedom in Venezuela. I'm so grateful with Secretary General Luis Almagro, who has uh, appointed me for this responsibility of the Organization of American States because um, I, I feel I could do a lot from from that role to help my my, my country and also as a young leader, I'm, I'm learning, I'm learning a lot. What would have happened if you hadn't been able to get out? Well, I would have been detained. Uh, I would have get, I would have had taken to uh, El Helicoide. Helicoide is the headquarters of the uh, of the political police of the regime. I would have been probably uh, tortured. Uh, I would have been uh, uh, isolated. Uh, you don't know what happened to you there. L last year, a local consul was killed in the same jail that I was uh, appointed. So anything could have happened to, to me. I was very uh, I was very firm against the regime. I, I didn't deal with them any time. So uh, I, I probably would have still been in jail, tortured. So I knew what was waiting for me. So that is why I, I planned that. Unfortunately, it went uh, OK, and, and, and here I am. We don't see a lot of stories, especially in Canada, out of Venezuela. We don't have a lot of journalists who are able to go there on the ground. What are the conditions like right now for people in Venezuela? Well, imagine that your life is not about to live, but about to survive. That's the, that's the life of any Venezuelan. You wake up and you don't know if you have water to have a shower. Then the, you don't have enough food to have breakfast for your family, for your children. Uh, then probably it will be difficult for you to get to school or to get to, to your office because there's no gasoline and there's a huge problem on the, on the public uh, transport. If you are sick, you have to go like different pharmacies or, or drugstores drug or, or hospitals trying to find uh, the medicine. But at the same time, you have to be very careful because this is one of the most violent countries in the world with a homicide rate of more than 80 people per 100,000. So people do not live in Venezuela, people survive. And this is a man-made disaster. So the Maduro's regime is not only affecting Venezuelans, 
Maduro's regime is affecting and is threatening the, the region. As we speak, there are four million Venezuelan migrants and refugees. This is the largest refugee crisis in the history of the region, and it's only uh, below Syria. There has been in a war for more than eight years. We have not had a conventional war, and we have not had a natural catastrophe. But with the collapse of the economy, with the hyperinflation of 10 million percent, with the humanitarian crisis of shortages of food and medicine, with the violence that I just described a few seconds ago, well, those are the things that are making Venezuelans uh, flee uh, the country. So that's why we're working really hard to restore democracy and, and freedom in, in, in Venezuela. I am convinced that we're going to achieve it uh, soon. When, when do you think that'll happen? Because we've seen protests and it seems hopeful and then it dies down again. Do you think that you're getting close to that precipice that will push things over the top and cause Maduro to either choose to resign or be forced out of office? We're getting close. Since January, things change uh, completely. We have an uh, interim president. Name is Juan Guaido, has been recognized by 56 countries in the world. One of them is, is Canada. And as a Venezuelan, I am very grateful on, on the, for the Canadian government that, that they don't only recognize uh, interim President Guaido, what, what the Canadians uh, have done during the last four or five years because they were one of the first countries to denounce the human rights violation and the humanitarian crisis in Venezuela. Uh, people are going back to the streets with interim President Guaido, are supporting him. Eight out of ten Venezuelans want Maduro out, and everything that he has done is legal, is constitutional, and he has been able to reunify all the political actors in Venezuela. So the only thing that uh, remains on, on work to work is on the armed forces. We know that a lot of soldiers are already loyal to interim President Guaido. There are others that are still loyal of Maduro because they are involved in crime. Maduro and Chavez have created irregular groups that are also part of the protection that Maduro has. So we need the support of the international community to dismantle this, uh, this uh, dictatorship because this is not a conventional dictatorship. This is far beyond. This is, this is a, a failed state, a criminal state, a mafia state that, as I said before, is not only affecting Venezuela, it has become a threat to the region. Well, when you talk about international intervention and, and support, is it just support or is there at some point, in your view, a role for military intervention which President Trump has hinted may be on the table? Well. I wouldn't call it intervention, I wouldn't call it war, I wouldn't call it invasion, I wouldn't call it use of force. If we get to that point, the right framing is a military uh, and humanitarian mission of cooperation, uh, multilateral, and, and, is, and, and, the, and there is legal framework internationally to, to ask for that. Uh, a responsibility to protect is a way to the implement UN. it. Yes, the uh, Royal Dose Doctrine is another way to, to implement it. Um, the TR is another way to, to implement it. And the interim president, Guaido, could ask for that. So there is, there do you is think legal. Do he's likely to do that? Sorry? Do you think he's likely to do that? He's open. He's open to any, to any option. In Venezuela, we have tried everything. We have tried elections, referendums, negotiation, protests. So he's, he's, he's open to, to every option. And, 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 and internationally, there is legal framework for countries to act when millions are threatened by, by a regime like is going on in, in Venezuela. What happens if Maduro does not step down willingly? Well, if Maduro doesn't step down on, on the next month, from 4 million refugees, we're going to have by the end of the year more than 5 million refugees. We could have by 2020 more than 6 million refugees, so Venezuela will become the new Syria, but it's in the Western uh, Hemisphere. hemisphere. We're going to see more people die in Venezuela because of lack of food, lack of, of, of electricity, lack of uh, 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 water. And we're going to see one of the biggest
criminal hub uh, in the history of the Western uh, Hemisphere because of all the irregular groups that are acting in Venezuela with impunity and taking our resources such as uh, minerals, oil, gas, and with uh, some external actors are, are, are helping. So the sooner we restore democracy in Venezuela, not only are the not only is better for Venezuelans, it's better for the region, including Canada, which is one of the which one which one of the countries that we will have we want to have the best uh, relationship in in, in, in in the future to rebuild uh, our country. How big of a role are Russia and China playing in interference? Important role they are both playing, and I would add to that Cuba and Turkey. Those are the four main pillars in, externally that the Maduro regime has. Uh, 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 Russia has found in Venezuela a good toy to play geopolitically with the U.S., with Canada, and, and, and make them feel weak and, and uncomfortable. Unco and uh, also China is, is, is helping Maduro on blocking internet and social media and, 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 and with social control through a parallel identity system that, you know, people are frightened to have it. But Turkey is helping Maduro's regime through uh, avoid sanctions and through and with the minery and Cuba, well, they've been in my country for, for 20 years and they are, they are Cuban agents as we speak, torturing Venezuelans. And Would you like to see else. Canada take a tougher stance with Cuba? I think it's important. I think it's important to understand that uh, on any negotiation uh, that Venezuela, the Maduro's regime go and, 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 and Cuba goes, they buy time. They like to buy time. So buying time, they fracture the international community. They could fracture the political actors in Venezuela and they demoralize uh, 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 people. Uh, as I said, I mean, I'm very grateful of all the efforts that Canadian, Canadians have done to restore democracy and freedom in Venezuela. We have to be careful on the Cubans. They've been in power for more than 60 years, and they don't want uh, Venezuela to, to get lost because if Venezuela, if the dictatorship in Venezuela falls, Cuba could be the next one. David, thank you so much for your thank time. Thank you.